Well, howdy, howdy, Redemption. How are you guys doing this morning? You enjoying this Siberian Christmas? Um, man, alive. I'm loving the frigid cold, man. I made sure to have excuses to work outside yesterday in the frigid cold. Some of you don't dig it. Oh, man, I love it. There's something about just being out, knowing that you could die at any moment. That... <laughs> Just sheer bliss right there. So, uh, yeah, man, loving the cold, loving the cold. Thank you for everybody that uh, was a part of the tree lighting downtown. Uh, thank you for that. Give them a big hand for those who went out in the freezing cold. Made that happen. That is so great. Great event right there. So uh, before we get started, there's a handful of things I want you to know about really quick. I've got many announcements. I'm going to try to move as quickly as possible. Uh, today, first off, is a special day. For us, it is our annual celebration. And what that is, is an opportunity for us to just kind of give you a little bit of update as far as what's going on at Redemption Church. And then after that, we're going to chow down on some pizza, which is a great thing. So what I want to encourage you to do is stick around after the service, about 10 minutes after the service. We're going to come back in here. We're just going to be in here for about 15 minutes. Give a little bit of update on our worship pastor search, some other things we're talking about as elders, and then there'll be one uh, responsibility for the members of Redemption, and I'll give you those instructions uh, at that meeting. So after this service today, 10-minute break, you can get your kids, uh, you can bring your kids in here for that meeting. You're like, really? I can bring my kids in here for a meeting? Yes, you can. Um, or you can hang on in the comments if you go, the meeting isn't that critical to me, or you could watch it on the TV, something like that. Anything is cool. And then after that, like I said, we're going to chow down on some grub, so that's a great thing. So that's the first thing I want you to know about. Second thing I want you to know about is uh, this is our Advent season, and the way Advent will culminate for us is on December 22nd, uh, where we have a special service, actually two services, uh, that is designed for you to bring a friend to. And so we're going to be telling the story of the birth of Christ in a creative way, very cool way. And so we want to encourage you to invite a friend. In fact, when you came in, you received one of these cards. This is a very simple way for you to invite somebody or to remind yourself to invite somebody to a great service to uh, bring a friend to. Also with that, uh, we're going to have a choir at that particular service, and if you would like to be a part of it, uh, man, we have rehearsals on Monday night, 6.30 down at the Hub. We want a big, screaming, awesome choir, and so that means your involvement. So we'd love to see you get involved in that, so you can just show up tomorrow night, 6.30 down at the Hub, and uh, go from there. So it'll be a great time, so you can keep that in mind. That'll be great. Uh, you want to make sure you get plugged into that. Third thing you need to know about, at least maybe it's three, maybe it's four, I've already lost count, uh, out in the commons, there is a tree that has ornaments on it where you can take an ornament and buy the item on that ornament and that will be going to an orphanage in Mexico. We've got a team leaving Christmas Day for Mexico. Kind of phase one of the team leaves Christmas Day. Phase two leaves a couple of days after that. In fact, next Sunday uh, we will be praying for that team up here on the platform. So if you'd like to be a part of that, that would be perfect. So make sure you grab one of those and get it back here quick. Uh, they'll give you all the uh, instructions there at the table or the tree when you go to pick that up. So that's important. Then the last thing I want to stress, and I want to stress this big. In fact, we've got a slide for this. Uh, as a church, uh, we do something different on Christmas Eve. Instead of having a Christmas Eve service, we go serving. And we push this in a big way because, again, it, it's uh, it's kind of the essence and the heart of the Christian faith anyway is to really go to those who could really use a helping hand, could use some unique joy from God's people. And so uh, we have some opportunities, and these are big. Operation Night Watch and the YWCA Women's Emergency Shelter, both of those need volunteers in a big way. All right, for Christmas Eve. So uh, a couple of years ago, my family did the uh, YWCA phenomenal time, right? And so here's where I'm really pushing and stressing this. There's some of you that are saying, you know, we've been thinking about doing something, we're not sure, or other people going to do it. Uh, these two ministries, man, they need people to sign up for this. And so I am encouraging you, if you at all have thought about doing the Christmas Eve serving, these are the places to plug in. And so uh, you can plug into that by simply going to the information table after the service, get more information there. You can contact Pastor Scott. Just email him, scott at myredemptionchurch.org, and say, hey man, plug me in for one of those, for Nightwatch or for the YWCA. Both of these, again, uh, are just places that a lot of 
A lot of people just go, hey, it's Christmas Eve. It's my Christmas Eve. Hopefully those people are going to be okay. Well, that's why we want to go on Christmas Eve and serve the ways that we do. So if you can plug into that, man, that would be awesome. We would dig that. So please consider that. Pray about that. And uh, contact Pastor Scott or go to the information table after the service and say, hey, man, I, I want to be there. So how do I make that happen? And we'll get you signed up from there. So I think that is it. I think that covers all of my announcements for this morning. That was a lot of announcements. That's like point one of my message. All right. So um, let's go ahead and pray it up. And uh, then from there, we'll see what Jesus has for us today. Jesus, I thank you so very much for this time of year. I thank you for the fact that, you know, it is a real opportunity for us to, uh, you know, be with family and be with friends and enjoy the lights and the beauty. And, and even just at the mall the other day, you know, walking through the mall and listening to your name being proclaimed in that environment through song, right? Just hearing about your birth, hearing about your glory, hearing about your greatness in an environment where people are, many of them probably pretty oblivious to the fact that you are being uh, piped into the place. That's what I love about the season, that really it is all about you. And I pray that we would really let it be all about you and our hearts, our lives, and our focus. So Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in your good and awesome name. Amen. Man, it is the second week of Advent. And uh, you'll notice on our Advent wreath, it is the Sunday of joy. Right? And you're going to see that word a lot through the holiday season. You're going to hear songs, joy to the world. We know that one. You're going to hear that one a lot. Repeat the sounding joy. You're going to hear that. Uh, you're going to have people say, man, have a joyful holiday season. You're going to go to the mall and just see in big letters, joy. Right? Because the Christmas season, one of the words we love about it is this word, this concept of joy. And that doesn't surprise me, frankly, because again, what we know as Christians is that uh, this season really is about Jesus. There, there are some, our, our neighbors, our friends, co-workers, uh, that don't really realize that. They may not even really understand that Christmas is foundationally about Jesus. It's, for them, it's trees and gifts and family and friends and merriment and everything else. But as a Christian, we know that joy is part of the season because this season's about God. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus coming into the world for us to bring joy into the world where the world needed desperately a sense of joy. So that's why I say it doesn't surprise me that joy is a major theme. I think about it in part because when we think about Christmas, we think about God. And when we think about God, what we should think about is a God who is infinitely joyous. God is the God of joy. In fact, in Romans chapter 9, verse 5, it says he is the eternally blessed God. He is the joyful God. See, I think that's important for us to, to own because I, I think there are moments where our vision of God is shaped as this kind of stoic figure, this emotionless being that's just utterly level and perfect in his levelness. And while God is perfect and God is level, God is also infinitely and immensely joyful. And so when we think about this season, we should think about joy because we think about our God who is joyful. We should also think about from that fact that God is joyful that Christianity at its core is actually a movement of joy. In fact, when you read through the New Testament, that word joy or joyous or rejoicing or joyful, any of those derivatives occurs 326 times. That's a lot. It's twice as many occurrences as the word grace. And what's interesting about that word grace and joy, they come from the same root word. In fact, there's this connection between grace and joy that is profound. And that's why I say the Christian movement is a movement of joy. Because again, it is the God of joy infiltrating the world to bring joy to the world. And that comes through his people knowing him with great joy. That's what Christianity is supposed to be. Now here's the question and the challenge. If our God abounds with infinite joy and Christianity is a movement of joy, then why do we seem to struggle with experiencing joy? Right? This is what's so challenging for me uh, in doing the Advent season, every one of these, these Sundays, right? So hope. Right? But, but so often we struggle with a sense of hope. 
And then joy, and we go, yes, joy. But so often in life, we're like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm joyful. I, I, I'm kind of struggling to find that. What we do with joy is we fret it away or give it away or push it away or allow life or circumstances or people to steal it away. And so we hear this word and we go, yeah, I dig joy. It's a great word at Christmas, but it is a word that is sometimes very elusive for my life. And I guess the question is why? Why is it? That the Bible speaks so much of joy, that the essence of the Christian life is to be a life abounding in joy. But then we look at our daily affairs and we go, man, that, that's just something that I feel like it, it, it's less in my life than more in my life. Why, why is that? Well, to understand this, we have to go back to the beginning, Right? The whole essence of Advent is going back to the Old Testament and following the thread up to the birth of Christ. And so to understand how joy is a word of Advent and how joy is something that we struggle with at times, we have to go back to the beginning, realize there was joy in the beginning, but then what happened in relationship to the loss of joy. All right, that's the deal. Now, in Psalm 1611, I love what the psalmist writes. He says, you make me known in the path of life. In your presence, there is the fullness of joy. See, what we see here is that joy and access to God are are coupled, right? So like David, he writes this psalm. He's, he's, He's captivated in this moment with God. And what he thinks about is that joy is uncoupled from God. Joy is directly flowing from a connection to God with time spent in the presence of God, right? That's where joy emanates from. And so the psalmist knows this. And if we go back to Eden, that's exactly what you see. You see that there was this environment where man and God walked together, and in that relationship, there is profound joy. In fact, it says in Genesis chapter 2 that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And it was in that context that they would walk with God in the cool of the garden. So you you picture this scene. There's two things that sticks out here. The first is that they're naked and not ashamed. What that tells us about Adam and Eve's original state is really perfect joy. Because they're not ashamed in any way. They don't have any bitterness or failures or wrongdoing. There's no guilt, grief, remorse, worry, insecurity, fear. None of that. None of the things that rob us of joy were a part of their lives. Nothing. Perfect bliss, perfect joy. This is why they could be naked and unashamed. They had no burden whatsoever. And then every day they could just walk with God. Right? And so every time they walk with God, it is the fullness of joy. Because why? In his presence is the fullness of joy. That's a good scene right there, right? That is a great scene. That's a good reminder, I think, even for us. When we start to think about, well, man, how how do I capture joy? How do I live in the context of joy? Well, we see in Genesis that it had a lot to do with having your guilt be non-guilt and your presence be in the presence of God. But then something happens. We know the story. There's rebellion. And in the rebellion, it says in Genesis chapter 3, it says, as they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So so now you see the scene shapes up. There was joy before because they were naked and unashamed and they could walk with God and they loved his presence and in his presence there's joy. But now there's been rebellion And they hide themselves. They see their nakedness. They understand their guilt. And then more than that, they are on flight away from God's presence. So if joy is in the presence of God, and you see yourself as naked and running from God, guess what is going to evaporate really quick? Joy, right? So we go back to Eden. We say, oh, there was joy. And then we see there was sin. And then we see there was this flight from God. And so joy begins to erode quickly. Then it's accelerated in verse 23 of Genesis 3 where it says the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. Right? So now there's a real separation. 
right? And whatever joy was in Eden has now been lost. It's been sacrificed on the altar of my thing, my way, my call, my interest, my calling the shots. All of that has happened in Eden. And so now it's truly just this giant mess. And what flows out of those conditions for humanity is now a joyless struggle, right? Where humanity is going to try to somehow get back to that or process that or understand that or answer why does it seem joyless even though there's this word joy. I mean, all of that sort of flows out of what happens in the context of the rebellion of Eden. Now, different people process this in in different ways. It's not the same for everybody. Different people have different ways of understanding the issues of joy in this world that struggles with the concept of joy, right? In fact, you have one person, we'll call them person one, and this person believes in joy, but they seek happiness or pleasure instead. This is the hedonist, right? So everybody kind of goes, okay, man, we're out of Eden, things are rough, everything else, and now I'm trying to fill the void, I'm trying to get some traction in my emotions, and for some, they'll just say, yeah, sure, there's this thing called joy, but you know what, that joy's work. So I, I'm just going to pursue pleasure and happiness instead. I, I worked with a guy, I remember um, when I first met him, and I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I'm training to be a pastor and everything else. He goes, well, I'm a hedonist, first hedonist I ever met. That actually said, I'm a hedonist. I mean, typically, we just say that behind people's backs, right? So um, he goes, no, I'm a hedonist. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's like, wine, women, and weed, baby. I'm like, yes, you are. You will never, ever talk to my daughter. All right, so like, that's what he was. And, and his attitude was, you know what? There is joy out there, but joy is work. I don't want to work, so I'm just going to go for the simple waypoints of happiness. I'll just move from happy thing to happy thing to pleasure, and I'll just keep bouncing through. And yeah, those things wear off, but you know what? I can rack a lot of them up over the course of time. I can engage them anytime I want. And so that was his attitude, the hedonist, right? You have others, person two, and they'll say, I believe in joy, but I think joy is rare. Right? They're not the hedonists, they're the existentialists. So they look and they go, you know what, yeah, you, you can do it if you put enough time and focus and you let go of the things of this world enough and you just kind of go to a mode of simplicity, then you can find joy. But it's rare. Most people never get there, but it's this kind of existentialist mentality. You have a third person. third person believes there is no real joy, but they've just sort of learned to cope with that truth. They're the realist. Love the realists of our lives, Right? Where they look around and they're like, yeah, um, this, this universe is a pretty mean universe. It's cold and it's very barren for the most part. We got this planet, but this planet, it's red in tooth and claw. There's a lot of dog-eat-dog. I mean, the whole animal kingdom is kind of driven to destruction. So really, uh, at the core, joy is just sort of this illusion we chase, but it's not a reality. However, since we're here, I might as well make the best of it. So I cope. That's the realist. Worse than the realist is the nihilist, right? And the nihilist says there is no joy and they're joyless, right? That's their heart. That's, this is your negative Aunt Nelly, right? That's, that's who that is. Right? Where it's just like everything's negative, everything's bad, nothing's happening, nothing's right, you cook the meal wrong, you, your house is no good. I mean, just, they're just negative all the time. They're just kind of this nihilist. It's all going to burn anyway. Like, who cares? That's negative Aunt Nelly. If you have a negative Aunt Nelly, boy, she's a delight at Thanksgiving. So, Right? So that's what you have. But then you have person five. Person five believes in joy, but chooses joylessness. Right? And this person, they're not the hedonist, the existentialist, the realist, or the nihilist, they're typically the Baptist. And what they do... <laughs> some of the Baptists in the room are like, that's not funny. Like, that's why you're not laughing. Um, no, I'm kidding. I love the Baptist, man. I love the Baptist, right? But, but this is that, that thing where it's like, you know, these Christians sometimes that say, yes, I believe in joy, right? Joy to the world, blah, 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 right? Like that, like they're sucking down lemons and they're greeting at church, you know? And like, that is the weirdest one because again, if there's anyone that should say, man, not only do I believe in joy, but I display joy. It should be those who identify with the fact that there is this God of joy who deposits joy. But there are some people that say, I believe in joy as a concept, but I choose joylessness in my life. And that's just sort of how they operate and how it flows. And so you have this vacuum of joy. 
right? This is where we struggle as a race. And, and if you really try to analyze it and say, well, what, what really goes on then in, in the context of uh, joy and what has happened, um, what you find is that there was this divine joy in, in Eden, but then in our fallenness, we replaced divine joy with idle happiness, right? We've replaced joy with happiness. Now, here's the thing, and I want you to capture this if you can. Uh, happiness is not a synonym for joy. Not really. Happiness is not a synonym for joy. We think it is. We kind of go, well, of course it is. It's kind of one and the same. But when you look from a biblical perspective, no. Happiness and joy are not necessarily synonyms. Here, here's how I can probably help you a little bit. Um, joy, ready? Joy is a state reinforced by a mindset. Joy is a state reinforced by a mindset. Happiness is an experience associated with a mood. All right, catch that? One is a state, one's an experience, right? One is a mood, one is a mindset. There's your difference. And what we begin to do as a race is because we are distant from God who brings joy, we try to replicate this thing we think is joy with this other thing called happiness. We're looking for a mood, an up mood, a positive mood, a happy mood. And so we begin to chase happiness. We use people for happiness, places for happiness, things for happiness, accomplishments, events, oscillating the different options of happiness. If I get this, it will make me happy. If I get rid of that, it will make me happy. And so we begin to seek all of these happy things. Now, can all these things make you happy? Sure. Can you buy happiness? Absolutely. You're like, no, that's not the motto. Motto's wrong. You can buy happiness. Now, if we said, can you buy lasting happiness? That's a different discussion. But you can buy happiness. You can buy a, a thousand little bits of happiness. You know what? For like $147.50, you can go to the happiest place on earth for like two days. Right? Both sides. Right? California Adventure and Disneyland. Right? Double, double happy. So you can buy happiness. You can. Right? Through all of those means. You can find a person that makes you happy. You can choose a place that makes you happy. You can buy or come across a thing and it's going to make you happy. You're going to accomplish something and man, you're going to be happy from that. But you know what? It's still a mood. It's still a mood. And then eventually what happens? The mood begins to wear off. It's a mood brought on by an experience. And when the experience gets old or fatigued, or you have to start investing into experience more than what it produces in you, uh, what happens is the happiness begins to evaporate. More than that, you can have happiness without God. You can. In fact, Jeremiah, he's all upset about this when he is prophesying. And he says, why are the wicked so prosperous? Why do evil people act so happy? He says, God, you've planted them and they have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. Man, you can be far from God and be happy. You can be far from God and be prosperous and get everything you want to buy your happiness. But it still comes back to the same thing. There is no real joy in that. There's no joy in that. Why is there no joy? Go back to Psalm 1611. Because it's only in God's presence that you find the fullness of joy. That's it. That's it. When, when we start talking about, well, well, why don't I have joy? Why don't I sense joy? Why don't I see more joy? It's always going to be proportionate to how much we are seeking the presence how much we're looking to be found in his presence. How much we're looking to draw from the joy of his presence. The psalmist, he knew it. He knew the joy comes from experiencing God. In fact, in the Old Testament, you see the, the pattern of this pursuit of the presence of God is the pursuit of joy. Psalm 43, verses 3 through 5. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. And then I will go to the altar of God, to the God of my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a liar, oh my God. Uh, he says, man, why are you downcast, oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Notice the scene again. Life is rough out here, 
My soul is in despair, so I go to the dwelling of God, and in His presence I find exceeding joy. And then that exceeding joy, it, it spills over, and I start to praise and to sing and to thank Him. All of that is the spirit of it. But now break this down Old Testament style. How did one find themselves in the presence of God? Well, you had to go and visit Him, right? You had to go to a location. You had to go to His tabernacle. You had to go to His temple. And then even then, you had this limited exposure to him. That's how it worked, right? So that's what they would have to do to have some inkling of the joy of Eden is that they would have to go to a place, spend some time with their God, and even then it was limited, very limited. But that's what they did. And that's how it worked. But throughout the Old Testament, there was always this attitude that, that one day the obstruction would be removed. One day, one would come who brings a fuller, more robust sense of presence. One day, the one will come that changes everything. In fact, the Old Testament closes out with that promise in Malachi chapter 3. It says, look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look so eagerly for, he is surely coming, surely coming, saying, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Man, I, I love that because, again, what are they longing for? They're longing for the presence. Why? Because in the presence of God, there's joy. right? And, and we as human beings, if there's anything we keep striving for, is that, that elusive thing. And, and, and what we're seeing is, well, that, that's only going to be true. It's only going to be full when it's found in the context of God's presence. So then what happens? We get to the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. And we see joy to the world, New Testament style. It says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Right? These shepherds, these, these, just these smelly homeless guys out in the field. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. You're like, well, whoa, that's not joy, that's fear. That seems to be the opposite. Well, don't worry, it's coming. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all peoples. For under you, born this day in the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Of all the things they could say, why do they highlight great joy? Why is that the the proclamation? Because what they're proclaiming is good news. That God has arrived. That God is on the scene. And of course there's great joy. Why? Because in the presence of God, there's the fullness of joy. Now God is here in these swaddling strips of cloth in a feeding trough. And there is joy. Joy. Why is it so joyous? Why does it matter for us, especially in relationship to the Old Testament? Well, here's Paul in Colossians chapter 1. He talks about how he has this great responsibility to share the good news of God. He says, God has given me this responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Right? So for thousands of years, God was sort of elusive too. He was in a tabernacle. He was in a temple. He was behind veils. You had to go through all this ritual and only one person could go into the fullness of his, quote, earthly presence. And even that was hyper-veiled. And now the veil is pulled away in the presence of this child. The veil is pulled away when Christ goes to the cross. The veil is torn and true too. When he takes the punishment and he takes the sin and he takes the mockery and he takes the shame and he takes the guilt away. Because again, go back to Eden. When guilt is gone and God's presence is there, there is joy. Your guilt is gone. His presence is in you. Joy to the world. This is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Right? I, I, I highlight all of this because, again, it, it's telling us the secret. What happens with Advent is that he comes to visit you. He dwells in you as a temple. His presence is expressed through you. In other words, you are more set up than anybody else on this planet to actually know what true joy is and to stop chasing happiness all the time. You are the only ones set up for that purpose because you are the only ones that have access in a true way to the presence of God. That's it. 
you. Which then draws me back to the question, why does it seem to be such a struggle for us as Christians to experience joy? I mean, why, since God has so richly dispensed it to us, why do we kind of go, wow, man, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I feel like more often than not, I'm discouraged. More often, I'm down. More often, I feel kind of adrift. More often, I feel distant. Why? Well, I think, again, it comes back to this idea of chasing happiness versus cultivating joy. Right? We've learned a lot of habits in this world. We've learned a lot of habits over the course of our lives. And so what we, we do sometimes is we, we look at what it takes to cultivate joy. And honestly, to cultivate joy, it does take some discipline. And, and, and we go, oh, man, that, that's, that's effort. Uh, chasing happiness is a little bit easier. It's a little bit more efficient. Um, I, I can just kind of move from thing to thing that way. And, and so what we do is begin to chase happiness. And, and again, in doing so, we, we diminish the experience of the joy that God wants to offer through his living in us. Now, what does chasing happiness look like? Well, first of all, it goes outward. It goes outward, right? In other words, we go, man, I'm kind of down, so I'm going to go get me some happiness, right? And we do it in all sorts of ways, right? What happens when you get kind of down, kind of discouraged, kind of depressed? Well, you know what some people do? Uh, they, um, they, they begin to eat to get happy right so it's just this it's emotional response or like i'm really down i'm really blue what am i gonna do i'm gonna give me some ben and jerry's right i'm gonna chase that happiness because again i'm really discouraged so i'm i'm emotionally eating to fix it others don't necessarily go that route they go with uh i'm gonna go buy something to get happy right so they're like i'm really down i'm really depressed i'm really discouraged how do i deal with depression new dress right so that's how i do it or I'm 45, my life isn't what I thought. Ah, oh, man, how can I fix that? Convertible, right? Like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do that. Because we are chasing happiness. I'm really alone. I don't like being alone, so I'm going to go find a guy or a girl so I can be happy. And then you marry said person to make you happy. And after a while, they don't make you happy. And then what do you tell people? My marriage isn't happy. And so what I need to do is I need to upgrade or downgrade or outgrade or whatever it is because I want to be happy. So we begin to chase happiness. My wife was watching this show the other day. had a great quote where it said, Some men weren't meant to be happy, but to be great. And I thought, that is really profound. Because the chase for happiness oftentimes leaves us very discouraged. Where to pursue joy is to pursue something actually great. And you may not always experience happiness in the context of the pursuit of joy, which again, that's why I say they're not synonyms. Uh, But you'll be pursuing greatness. But sometimes we just go outward chasing our happiness. The other problem with chasing happiness, it relies on subtle and suitable, rather, relies on suitable conditions. All right? So as long as everything's right, as long as mood is right, marriage is right, money's right, kids is right, all right, uh, the, the, the tomorrow is right, then I'm good, I'm happy. But as soon as money's bad, marriage is bad, kids are rough, mood is rotten, whatever, man, everything changes. And so you're always waiting for suitable conditions if you're chasing happiness. The other problem with happiness and chasing it is it heavily relies on how I feel, Right? Which is tough, man, because, you know, there are some days I wake up and I do not wake up happy. That's my sweet wife. I'm just not always a happy guy. You would think I am all the time, I know. But I'm not always a happy guy, you know. And, and if my thing is, well, I want to I get happy, it, it's like a leaky tire. I can fill it up for a while, but it's going to leak again. i got to keep filling it. It keeps leaking. and I, It's just what it is. So it, it's very much more about how I feel more than anything else. And that's a tough one, man, because any given day, I, I can just feel good, feel bad. Anything can sway me one way or another. The other day, man, I woke up, great morning, and within two hours, I was just angry, bitter, mean. Like, how did that happen? Easy, right? It's like this. I'm just like a roller coaster, man. Because how I feel, man, that, that, that can, it's at the mercy of the condition so often if I'm not saddled in more tight. See, ultimately, the problem with chasing happiness is it's an emotional Ponzi scheme that always needs sustaining, right? It is. It's just Bernie Madoff stuff, man. It's just, you just got to keep pumping in to keep it going. And here's the reality. It's not sustainable. 
It's just not. Ultimately, if you say happiness is my thing, it's going to let you down. If happiness is your thing, it's going to discourage you. If happiness is your thing, you're going to realize, you know what? Life is not always happy. And then you become cynical, which makes you more unhappy. You met those people, right? They're so busy chasing happiness and noting how they're not happy that, well, there you go. You're not happy because you're always trying to get it. You never can quite find it because, again, chasing happiness doesn't pay off. Doesn't pay off. Aside from that, for us as Christians, Jesus came to cultivate joy. John chapter 15, verse 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Can I tell you one of the hardest things about that verse? How many of us as Christians read that and go, yeah, that's really nice. I should stitch that on a pillow. That's a great coffee mug. Fantastic bumper sticker. But it seems very like... uh, I don't sense it. Jesus said it, I believe it, but I don't, I don't really sense it. I don't experience it. Well, again, like I said, part of the challenge with, with this joy that God offers is that we're weaning ourselves from happiness unto joy. And also joy does take a little bit of effort on our part to experience. It does. What it means is we need to change our bearings. What it means to cultivate joy is realizing first that joy goes inward and upward to where Jesus dwells. And so if we begin to talk about uh, how, do, how do we get to a point of joy, uh, we have to stop going outward to find happiness, and we need to go inward and upward to find joy. When I say inward, I'm not talking about your inner you. I'm talking about the Jesus who lives and dwells in you. You, you start going to the Jesus who works in and through you. You start praying to the one who can bring healing to whatever your discouragement or despair is. And so it means going inward and upward where Jesus dwells. Another thing, as far as changing our bearings, it means transcending the idea about conditions being the the source of of joy. You just kind of ditch that altogether. Don't start thinking like, well, I'm going to be joyful when my conditions change. I look at Paul, the apostle of joy. That dude's conditions never got better. Right? I mean, like, like here he is, he's writing in Philippians. He's like, oh, okay, let me get this straight. Um, I'm suffering for Jesus, but I get the privilege of that. And people have stabbed me in the back. And oh, yeah, I'm in prison, by the way. And it's probably all over. Woo, I got joy, though. I've got joy. I got joy unlike anybody has joy. You know, because that had nothing to do with conditions for Paul. As soon as we think, no, 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 I'll only have joy when my conditions are better, we will never then understand what the essence of joy is. Because it's not about the conditions. Conditions aren't even the question. It's something deeper. What it requires of us is a heavy emphasis on what we know and believe. More than what we feel. Again, happiness is about what we feel, about mood. Joy is about mindset. Right? Here's one of the biggest things that I think we would do well to do as Christians. You ready? Um, we need to stop listening to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves. We need to listen to ourselves less and preach to ourselves more. Now you're like, well, wait, though, if I preach to myself, aren't I also listening? What are you saying? All right, so let me let me clarify this. What we have a tendency to do is listen to ourselves. I'm not happy. I'm bummed. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. My wife this, my husband that, my job, whatever. And and we just, we, we, we listen to ourselves a lot, a lot. Right? Uh, we, we, we have these arguments in our head with people that are our nemesis. You ever do that? Right? You're in the shower and you're pretty soon you're, you're chewing them out. Washing your hair, right? Like in your head, you're listening to yourself and all that they've done against you and they don't know what they're doing and they're just a big idiot and I would tell them if I could talk to them but I won't talk to them ever. I might write them an email but you know, like you're doing all that. You're listening to yourself. But you know what's really the core of the Christian life is that we preach to ourselves which has nothing to do with our content. It's everything to do with God's content. That we remind ourselves, oh, wait, I'm more than a conqueror. We remind ourselves, oh, count it all joy when you endure trials of various kinds. It's just preaching to ourselves what God has said to us. Because again, part of the route to joy is being reminded of what God has said, commanded, instructed, and inspired to us. And so we need to spend a lot more time preaching to ourselves and a lot less time listening to ourselves. And then also in this, realize that cultivating joy means you have a high view of God's sovereign workings, right? Just say, God's in control, I stand in Him, He's got this, right? I mean, um, 
just even that idea that all things work to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that simple verse out of Romans chapter 8 is huge. Because again, what do we do so often? How do we get robbed of joy? We start going, oh, it's not in God's control. Right? This is a big mistake or a big accident or a big problem. And, and the more we go, no, God's in control. God is sovereign. I, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't know why I'm suffering, but I'm going to count it all joy because, again, I'm preaching to myself as opposed to listening to myself. Man, and it shapes things. It shapes our joy, which is really what we need shaped anyways. So to have joy in this world, we need to realize, first of all, you know what? Joy is a gift. It's a gift. So you know what that means for us? We need to ask for it. I mean, how often do we feel like, you know, I don't have any joy, but then we don't go to God and say, God, would you please give me some joy? I don't know about you. I'm way, I'm way better at sitting back and analyzing all of the problems. I'm way better at that. Well, I, I, I want this, and it's not this, and so now I don't have joy because I'm analyzing more than I'm praying. We see in Galatians 5 that, that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So if I'm going to God saying, God, please, I, I need your joy. I, I need your presence. I need you, Holy Spirit, to do this thing in me and give to me what I seem to be lacking right now, which is joy. Man, you know, God's going to be real faithful to that if we're really asking for that. Sometimes we just pray, uh, get rid of my conditions. That's probably more what we pray instead of give me joy. We say, make this thing stop. But joy is what we should pray for. Also realize that joy is with the giver. So seek after him. Right? Seek after him. I mean, you know, I, I know in my own world sometimes, you know, I'll go through these seasons where, I, again, I'm a little bit more on edge. Uh, and then I can, I can directly look and go, oh, it's, well, how much have I really spent time with God? Very little. And then how much am I asking for joy? Not at all. Don't know why. I don't feel joy. It's so weird. No, we have to ask. We have to go to the giver. And then also realize that joy is our future glory. So be motivated by it. In other words, all the stuff that we face in life, all the disappointment, all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the whatever, you know what, that's just temporary. That's just temporary. And to the degree that we receive all of that well with joy is to the degree we're going to experience far more joy in eternity. Right? We're going to be like, oh, okay, I got it. All of that was for my development. All of that was for my growth. Again, going back to James 1, count it all joy when you endure trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And it goes through a process that makes you complete, lacking nothing. Right? So it's where I just need to go, you know what? Man, joy is in my future glory. So I'm motivated by the future to endure the present with joy. So... Let me tell you a personal testimony. Um, I so didn't want to do this message today. Right? I mean, it was, it was, I just had a joyless week. You know what it's like to have a joyless week and you're working on preaching on joy? God's hilarious. All right? So, like, like honestly, I mean, I, I, was, I was just having this week. And, and, and here's what happens. When, when you're not doing those things, when you're not asking for the gift of joy, spending time with the giver of joy, realizing that your future glory is bound up in joy, when you're not doing that, when I'm not doing that, you know what I start to do? I start to lose joy. Then I lose hope. Then I start to focus on the problems. Then I focus on what isn't and what should be and how this happened. And if it would have happened different, this other thing would have happened and I wouldn't have the circumstance now and my disposition changes. Honestly, I bet if you pulled my wife aside afterward and said, so what was Matt like this week? She'd say, he just kind of did this all week. Right? Now, and she's like, why are you saying it publicly? Um, no. But honestly, I was start, I was just, I kind of stepped back and I'm looking at myself and I'm like, yeah, I just felt like every day I got a little bit more discouraged. And with every day of discouragement, um, there was bigger problems. And with every bigger problem, then I wanted to grab a hold of it and fix it. And, and so I started to manhandle the problems. I, I wasn't even praying about them at that point. I don't have time for prayer. I got to fix stuff. God's not on the job, right? Like that. Right? And, and, and it was so weird, man, because like, then by yesterday, I, I could just feel it. I just felt depleted and exhausted and like, oh my goodness. Because what I was doing is I was, I was pulling like, um, like a Peter getting out of the boat. You know, he's solid for a few seconds as he's looking at Jesus and then he, he gets diverted and he starts looking at the conditions and sinks. And I'm like, man, I'm busy looking at the conditions and I'm sinking 
And I don't sense joy because I'm focusing on my challenges more than I'm focusing on my Christ. And I have to go back to the fact that, oh, in His presence is the fullness of joy. Right? I need to ask. I need to seek. I need to believe in the gift and the giver of joy. That's what we need to do. A couple of things also just for cultivating joy really quick. Things where you go, man, I'm not feeling joy. What are some routes to starting to kind of kickstart that? Well, aside from asking God for joy and seeking the giver of joy, which is God. Here's some other things. Realize that joy comes through obedience. Joy comes through obedience. Can I tell you what sin does? Sin sucks joy. I could have just said sin sucks and it would work right there, but it sucks joy. It will. If you choose an active life of sin, and when I say active life of sin, I'm not even necessarily talking about violating moral standards. Sometimes it's just you're such a legalist. It sucks your joy. Some of the most joyless Christians I know are the legalistic ones. They're very moral, but they're not very joyful. Because even legalism sucks joy. Sin sucks your joy. Obedience, man, that gives strength to the bones. Another thing, joy comes through Scripture. Scripture. Right? Reading it, listening to it. I know when I'm just really discouraged, you know what I do? I go to the Psalms. I just read the Psalms, and after a while, I'm like, oh, David had it way worse. I'm feeling better already. Right? Like, like, ah, but there's so much refreshing stuff in the Psalms. Or, or sometimes when I'm down, I'll grab my Bible app and just listen to the Bible. Right? There's something about just listening, not always reading, sometimes just listening that gives tremendous strength. One of the weirdest go-to books for me when I'm down is the book of Galatians. I don't even know why. If you like look at Galatians like, well, isn't that all about legalism and works and the gospel and grace? I'm like, yeah, but some reason it really uplifts me when I'm down. Maybe it's that line about it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That just encourages me. Right? That brings me joy. I also realize that joy comes through reward. Reward. In other words, that you look at your future and you say, God is going to reward one day, and that's where my joy is. What's interesting is the passage that I cite there in Hebrews 10, 34. Um, the writer of Hebrews is talking to a group of Christians, and he says, you had all of your goods plundered with joy. I mean, imagine that. You come home, right, like tomorrow, and Christmas tree's gone, presents are gone, the Grinch has come, right? Took all of your stuff, Right? Couch is gone, TV's gone, everything's gone. Would you go, I had my goods plundered with joy. You wouldn't, but they did. They did. They had their goods plundered, but they did so with joy because what they knew is, you know what, this stuff, it doesn't matter. This stuff I'm collecting, these treasures of this earth don't really matter. My greatest joy is my future reward. I also realize that joy comes through kingdom, right? Through kingdom, just making a big deal about what Jesus is doing in the world, man. There's real joy when we focus more on the kingdom than on the world. Sometimes we lack joy because we're more focused on this place than what Jesus is up to to transform this place. But Jesus comes through kingdom. And joy comes through that. Ultimately, joy comes through Jesus and him exalted. Right? I I think about John the Baptist here. Where he says, I need to decrease and he needs to increase. And that brings me great joy. You want to have joy? Just be proud of Jesus. You want to have joy? Just be proud of Jesus in the world you're in. And that's going to bring you joy. But all of this needs to happen, especially when life is hard. When life is hard. One of the most fascinating studies you will ever do, if you decide to undertake it, is to do a study on the word joy in the New Testament. And you'll be blown away how many times it's coupled to suffering. It's, it's the majority of the time, it's like, hey, get out of joy when you get your butt kicked. I mean, it's like that. It's just a perpetual kind of suffering and joy are coupled together. And the question is, well, why? Why is suffering and joy so coupled together in the New Testament? Here's why. Because joy isn't the mood of happiness. Joy is the mindset of peace. Like I said earlier, joy and happiness are not synonyms as much as joy and peace are synonyms. I'm not talking about a happy mood. What I am talking about is a mindset that preaches to ourselves what God has said. We press into God and God presses into us joy, which is peace in the midst of all of life's crises, all of life's mess and problems. See, that's what I love about the Apostle Paul. He was so solid on this. 
right? So again, they're in Philippians. He's in prison. He's had friends stab him in the back. I mean, it's just not gone well for him at all. And then what does he tell us to do? He says, be anxious for nothing. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. I love that right there. Because it says, man, go to the giver. Ask the giver. And in that thanksgiving... You know what Thanksgiving is? Rejoice. God's given you joy. Redisplay it. Rejoice it. That's what we do, right? So we give thanksgiving to him. And when we do this, it says, the peace that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through faith. We want our heart and mind guarded through peace. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, pray. Thank. Seek. That's how it works. I love this quote. He says, I can say that I never knew what joy was or was like until I gave up pursuing happiness or cared to live until I chose to die. For these two discoveries, I am beholden to Jesus. It's true. We'll never know what joy is like until we give up the pursuit of happiness. Right? Jesus prayed for us in this way. He says in John 17, as he goes to his father and just begins to plead on our behalf, He says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they, my disciples, may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Not just any joy, but his joy. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The very reason that Jesus comes into the world and saves people through his good news is to restore joy. And then with that joy restored, we go out into the world and we display that joy. We are joy to the world. We display a joy that the world should be dumbfounded by. If we want to really be different, you know what it means? It means really displaying unconditioned joy. Everybody else's happiness is predicated on condition. We should say the conditions don't matter because what I have is a God who has given me joy. That's why it's joy for the world, in the world, to the world. That's why the angels proclaimed joy. That's why Advent is about joy. Now, does that mean we won't be sad, there won't be hardship, or we won't suffer? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it means we can have joy in the context of that. Joseph Campbell wrote this. He said, participate joyfully in the sorrows of the world. We cannot cure the world of sorrows, but we can choose to live in joy. It's what makes us different. It's what makes us unique. It's what makes us stand out. Now, again, like I said, it's joy joy an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. Right? Happiness is easy. But joy, that's a great thing. It's a great thing. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your joy. I thank you for your care. I pray for us as we struggle, oftentimes legitimately as human beings, to really have a sense of joy. So easy to become distracted, so easy to distort the conditions into being bigger than they are and you in turn being smaller than our problems. We confess those sins to you and we ask for your presence, for your gift, for your strength of joy. For you live in us and you've changed us. We love you and thank you Jesus in your good name. Amen.